You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everyone, and welcome to In Perspective. I am Bob Branco, and this is episode 305, dated Friday, April 21st, 2023. I'm very pleased, as always, to have my good friend and colleague, Peter Altschul. Peter, what's going on today? Well, welcome from Columbia, Missouri, where it's 65 degrees, very, very windy and sunny, and it's supposed to get below freezing tomorrow night. So... We're still, we're in spring, but winter is still doing its weird thing around here, which is typical. Winter so. never wants to leave without a fight. We know yeah. that for sure. That's right. Before we continue with our guest and our topics for today, let me thank those who make it possible for In Perspective to be available to the public. We start out with Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place. Thank you for posting our shows on Greeting Door number 15. Raymond Gay, our editor and producer, thank you for making in perspective, a quality program, as you normally do. I also want to thank the media outlets for airing in perspective when they do. It's appreciated. That way we gain more listeners. And finally, to Jacqueline Sylvia, our website designer, who promptly archives our shows on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Just go there if you want to hear an archived program. Find In Perspective Podcasts. Click on that, and you will see most of our archived programs from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie. We have a regular guest back with us on In Perspective. Please welcome back former New York Congressman John LeBoutlier. It's always a pleasure to have you back with us. How are you? Thank thank you, Bob. That's so nice. I love being on with uh, you and Peter and Raymond and... Um, I was supposed to do it a month ago when I got a scheduled change in this procedure that I've since had a uh, cardiac ablation and it was completely successful and it's fantastic. So I missed the show. Couldn't do the show that Friday. I think it was four weeks ago today, but now I'm all recovered and here I am ready to roll. And we appreciate that, and I'm glad that everything worked out all right medically for you. That's good. You know, I tell you, the technologies, first of all, of the thing that I had is unbelievable. I had a, I had a um, AFib, which is atrial fibrillation. It's an irregular heartbeat. And a lot of people have it. A lot of people get it fixed. It's not earth-shattering. But I've had this before 20 years ago, and the increase in technology or improvement of how they do this and what they do to you is unbelievable. And um, it's so good, all this technology, that I wear an iWatch, like I'm sure some of our listeners might today be wearing it. It has an app on there that will measure your heart rate, and it will measure whether you're in AFib or not. And it will go off if you're in AFib, and it will just tell you right on the screen of the iWatch, oh, You've got AFib. Similar well, to the, similar to the Dexcon device that diabetics wear to detect their sugar levels. I think it's very similar and that they're amazing too. And so today I went for a walk as I'm not really allowed to do my full workout routine till next week when I go back for a follow up. But anyway, I was doing a walk out in the woods and the phone goes off and I look at it. 
I keep saying phone. I mean iWatch. The yeah. iWatch goes off on my wrist. You feel it vibrate, so you look at it, and it comes on there, and it says your uh, walking heart rate is five beats a minute slower over the last six weeks than it was back in November. Now, I didn't ask it anything. It just starts telling me this on my watch. And so clearly I had the uh, ablation four weeks ago today. It has already had that effect, which is it's lowered my heart rate. And that's a good thing. That's a, well, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good to me. So Congressman, yeah. your, your, your successful, uh, uh, procedure. Uh, congratulations. And I hope it's successful for a long time. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Makes me sort of think about our healthcare system in, in this country. Uh, at its best, it's terrific. Uh, and then at its worst, uh, we seem to have a shortage of doctors, a shortage of nurses, uh, harried healthcare staff. In many cases, inferior service. If you, if you don't have money, I just heard a stat today that the, uh, mortality rate of, of, of African Americans versus white women for, for, uh, for babies is like three times higher for African Americans than, than whites. Uh, it's kind of a, uh, uh, scary thing, this healthcare system of ours. What do you, what do you make of our healthcare system and what might be done to improve it? Well, I've, I've heard everything you just said and I, I have no, Reason to doubt any of it. I, I, and I divide healthcare system into two parts. One is the treatment, what's scientifically available and accomplished and works and breakthroughs and all that technical stuff. That's on one side. And on the other side is paying for it. And the first one is we're way ahead of the world. Mm-hmm. And the second one, we're way behind the world. Yeah. I mean, the way we pay for it, what we pay, how much we pay, who pays, it's insane. And that is the reason blacks and poor people have inferior health care is because they can't pay as well as other people can. And I think morally that's wrong. But don't we all share the same insurance if we need to? I, I don't know. See, I, I don't think so. I, I think... Um, for instance, Medicare, which I'm on because I'm over 65, most doctors and hospitals take Medicare. Uh, Medicaid, which is for poor people, gets you inferior doctors because a lot of doctors won't do it. So it's, it's an inferior healthcare system. Uh, and it could be, you could be in the same hospital. I could be in this room here on Medicare. Or on private health insurance. I'm in room A, right? Let's do this. We'll put us in the same room. Two beds. I'm in bed A. Frank is in bed B. I'm on private insurance. Covers everything. I'm in bed A. I'm getting everything. Right next door to me in bed B in the same room with a little curtain dividing us. Frank is indigent and young and indigent and on Medicaid. He is not getting the same level of care I'm getting. And that's that a shame. That's not that's that's shame. A, because, it's, it's disgraceful. Because in my opinion, unless I'm wrong, Congressman, your private insurance versus Frank's Medicaid uh, provides the revenue that doctors need. It might take a while for them to get it, but 
what's the difference between how the private insurance pays the medical profession reimbursement and how reimbursement that's the difference they they the government mandates how much medicare can pay for a procedure uh, and medicaid how much they can pay and they pay less they pay less to the doctor they pay less to the anesthesiologist the nurse the hospital blah blah and private, the best private insurances can afford to reimburse at a higher rate. So the whole thing, you know, and we don't know. None of us know the formulas that are used. I do know that years ago I read this fantastic thing by Paul Krugman in the New York Times. It was during the debate over Obamacare. So it was 2010-ish, 2009. And he pointed out that the difference between a doctor's office that's profitable and one that is not is not the doctor, not the care of the doctor for his patients. It is the person in the doctor's office whose job it is, Mm -hmm. is to get reimbursed by the insurance companies. If you have someone in there that knows how to do it and is good at getting the insurance company to pay, then the doctor makes a lot of, and his office or her office makes a lot of money. But if that person isn't good at getting the reimbursement, the doctor's not making money. And And that that, that's an insane system that the skill that is required to make money is someone who's good at getting on the phone and haranguing an insurance company to send a check. But that's what we have. And and how and how to code things, uh the the whole coding yeah. system. Oh the coding is un- unbelievably complicated. Uh yeah. and uh that's what people there are people who are hired to do just that. You know, yeah. that, that that's their expertise. And and what I'm hearing is that more and more doctors, like even for Medicare, not Medicaid, but Medicare, are taking patients because they it, they, they are they are not. In other words, they're no, not they are. more well, I see li- I am Medicare now right. and I a lot of doctors that weren't taking it before now are taking it. Now, I don't know why. I yeah. Maybe it's my sample's wrong. I interrupted you, Peter. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, uh, you know, you and I have a different experience with Medicare. That's all. Because what I'm hearing is that most doctors, again, the paperwork, uh, they would, and what the, now it's many doctors doing, many doctors doing, are doing or getting out of the, of the health insurance altogether and, and doing their, and billing people for, for less. In other words, uh, so they don't have to deal with the Medicare. They're, they're charging patients, say, 30% less than what they would ordinarily charge or doing other things to make it, uh, uh, yeah. easier for them. And they can actually practice medicine instead of having to, you know, be on this rat race. And many, many doctors are leaving the practice altogether is what I'm hearing. And nurses. Yeah, I've too. heard that too. I've yeah. heard that too. It, it, I've it, heard, I mean, it's all, yeah, it's a mess. It's, it's the second half of the two things I described. Yeah, right. I, I think the actual techniques of surgeries and new equipment and imaging, it's fantastic what yeah. they can do. But now, the money, the money part is the mess. So congressman, is this one of the reasons why hospital waiting rooms are more crowded? Emergency rooms, I should say, are more crowded. I've known people who have spent days in the emergency room waiting to get a bed. Not All right. Me or you? Can, can, can you can you mute yourself, please? Whoever that is. Leonard, we're on. We're, no. Go go ahead, uh, Congressman. 
Yeah, it's a little distracting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bob, it's a great question. Uh, a friend of mine recently had kidney stones out here on Long Island and spent the night on a bed in a hallway outside the emergency room because there were no rooms, no beds upstairs for him. So we all know of this or have done it ourselves, you know, and I really don't know why. I think hospitals generally have reduced their uh, bed capacity because we had too many people and insurance doesn't want to pay for people to spend nights that are not totally necessary. I've seen that uh, more and more, Congressman. Yeah, plus you add in COVID, you add in illegal immigrants who don't have a doctor, don't have insurance, so where do they go when they're sick? They go to the emergency room. And suddenly, you know, and if it's bad weather, so they're more broken hips and blah, blah. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons emergency rooms. Statistically, Monday night is the busiest night in an ER. Because a lot of people wait through the weekend to go to the emergency room and they go Monday. Uh, it's funny, but. Well, it's not just illegal immigrants. It's, 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 I mean, most, many poor folks who are poor citizen or non-citizen just can't, can't find a doctor, you know, to, yeah. will take them, you know, so they go to the emergency room. It's the only yeah. option they have. Yeah. Uh, or, or folks with mental illness who are homeless, you know, they, that's, that's, that's where they go. Um, so my, my question, Congress, I mean, we all agree that there's a major problem. What do you think we should do to solve it? I mean, our, what are some, you know, sort of, uh, given our budget situation in, in our country, yeah. what, what should we be thinking about doing? I don't really know. Okay. I, I, I don't know. I don't oh. know. All right. Well, that's, that's, uh, I don't either, but I know it's a problem and I know it's getting worse. I have, I'm having, I have a friend who's, who's dealing with cancer and, the stories I hear, and she's having a she's having a reasonably good experience, are really kind of sad, you know, about the treatment she's getting and the fact that she has to make thousands of phone calls. I'm I'm exaggerating to get stuff done. You know, uh, it's it's almost harder to uh, to to prepare for stuff than actually go through the process. Sometimes it's just it's it's infuriating. Um, you know, she doesn't get returned phone calls. You know, it's just and she has insurance. You know, uh, so it's just it's just very very frustrating. Well, I, I I will just say because I can really only speak about my own recent experience. Sure. Uh, I I've never had a problem as a Medicare patient here in the New York area. Uh, it's great. Uh, all the doctors I go to take it. The hospital I went to the most unbelievable hospital, NYU Langone, for two separate cardiac <coughs> procedures. One where I didn't have to spend the night and one I did and it was incredible. Uh, technologically it was unbelievable. <clears throat> God knows how much it cost. Uh, I, I know the uh, one day thing where I came home that night, I saw the bill for it. It was called a cardio version where <clears throat> they try to shock your heart back into rhythm by uh, putting some pads on your back and chest and they knock you out and they shoot some electric current in there like a shock you know and i woke up i was knocked out yeah i woke up uh heart was working great and they sent me home i saw the bill for that was nineteen thousand bucks i believe it 
Yeah. It didn't work, by the way. Within a week, I was back in AFib. (laughs) And so if that cost 19,000 and was done just in this room, the real thing where they knocked me out, went up through my groin in an, or uh, in a vein up to the heart for two and a half hours and burned stuff out to get the heart to beat properly. How much? And I had to spend the night because it was a little complication. I mean, that must be a hundred thousand. Yeah. Hundred thousand. And I didn't pay a penny. So no wonder Medicare is going broke. Uh, and what we're going to do, but I'm more suited, see, that type of thing, Medicare and Social Security and the political football that everybody tries to make it and has in the past. And the way Biden really stuffed it down the Republicans throats at the State of the Union to where now you don't hear any Republican talking about touching it. Um, and that is a huge issue. Um, you know, that I, I get. But in the end, we can't let Medicare go bro- or Social Security go broke. Can't do it. And the country's older. More people yeah. are living longer. So you hit 65. You can live another 25, 30 years easily now. And all of your health care is basically free for that whole time. Not all of it. But I pay a little deductible every year for Part B. But generally, I'm not paying that 100 grand for the uh, ablation. <laughs> I hope not. So I paid four, I think I paid 450 bucks of the 19,000. Mm-hmm. So yeah. congressman, um let's talk about social security. I've been thinking about this a lot cuz it is a it is sort of a hot issue and it's you know as you said and nobody wants to touch it. But from everything I'm hearing, uh you know, it it, it has to be addressed at some point, you know. Yeah. It, and so um what well, we you, know how it's going to be addressed. We so know how, it because we have a a precedent and the same thing's going to happen to Medicare. They're both parallel. They're both based on a funding formula that is running out of money. Right. Because of what I just said, more people are living longer. Therefore, more money is going out of the fund than is coming in. Yeah. The baby boomers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the great health care I was just talking about on the good, on the first side. Is keeping people alive longer, mm-hmm. which we want. So, so that we know it's going to happen. It happened when Reagan was president. Same thing was happening with Social Security. What did they do? Their backs are against the wall. We got to do something. And the answer is we got to take politics out of it. And we have to create a commission, uh, House and Senate. And we agree. In advance, both parties agree in advance that whatever this commission recommends, we're all going to do it. And and as I say this, I go right at the moment, there's no way we could get people to do it. But they will agree to do it when all their constituents are telling them, you better fix this thing. Because I want to have my $100,000 ablation next week. And I'm told I can't have it because there's no money left. So you better fix the damn thing. And you can fix it. I mean, we can fix. I mean, probably what's coming is extending the retirement age in Social Security in the future. Not right now. Not people who are going to retire next year, but maybe people in 15 years 
are not going to get it at 65. They'll have to wait till they're 67, something like that. Yeah. But you have now, this is what you didn't get in France and you see the reaction to it is the consent of the governed. You have to go out to the American public as president and as senators and congressmen and tell them the truth for a change about what's the situation and what the solution is. And you had to bring them down the learning curve. And God knows, I don't want to hear, and we're going to hear it, but I wish we wouldn't, all the lies that we hear from politicians and members of the media about what is the situation. That for once, somebody's got to tell the public the truth about the thing. And the truth is the money's going to run out sometime in the next X number of years, whatever that, whatever that. Correct. That's the truth. That's the truth. And here's how to fix it. And there aren't many ways to fix it other than, uh, either they, people get less money, which is very unfair because there's been promised certain amount of money or like I said, future retirees will get it, but they won't get it for a couple extra years. You got to tinker with the formula enough to preserve the uh, thing. Now, is anybody checking on the reserve to give us an indication of when or if the money's going to run out? Well, I think so. I don't really know, Bob. I'm, I'm really no expert on it, but I, you know, you hear reports from the administrators of it every year they're called up to Congress and they have to give dates about when this thing's going to run out. And I think we're both of them are running out this decade. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Congressman, one of the things you talked about the life expectancy uh, going up, which of course it has, but one of the things until COVID, well, yeah, right. Until COVID fair, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But, but here, but here's what, what I found sort of disturbing about this. The life expectancy is going up, but it is not going up if you don't have money. So in other words, if you have money, your right. life expectancy goes up. And if you don't, Correct. so Correct. here, so, so here's the, so the, uh, another possibility, which I sort of cringe at is to means test the program. In other words, to say, if you, if you, if you make more than a certain amount of money, you, you, you lose or begin to lose your benefits. Or something because it's I, a political, I, it's a political minefield. To it is. It. it absolutely Because the is. people have earned the money, earned the uh, benefits yep. and feel that they've saved their money, invested their other money or whatever they do. So they have more money. Again, let's take two next door neighbors, uh, John and Frank. And John has invested, saved, been very diligent. He had more money. <clears throat> Frank has blown his money on drinking and partying and he's got nothing. <clears throat> now we means test and John has money. So we're going to say you get less benefits and Frank, who's been a badly behaved man is going to get more benefits. That, yeah. that just doesn't work. So I mean, I, politically I, it doesn't work. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. But so essentially we're rationing. We got to figure out a way of rationing coverage. I mean, it, you know, either, you know, and, and that's the trick. You know, I hate to use the word rationing, but we, but that is essentially what we're talking about here. You know, uh, how, how do you, yeah, how do you do it that? Is. How do you, how well, do you, how uh-huh. do you do that? Uh, you know, so, uh-huh. but, 
I, well, I think, and this is the issue. We, this, we're going to have to, as you said, Congressman, we're going to have to really begin to think about this seriously. Otherwise, you know, there'll be, the, when the time comes for some, somebody down the road, there's going to be no money. Well, what they're going to do is what they always do. They'll kick the can down yep. the road like they do on the national debt, and they will do it in the next three months on the national debt. This thing will be kicked down the road either to next year, and they'll go through this again in a presidential and congressional election year, oh boy, or maybe push it beyond the election. They should have done it last November, December, after the midterms in the lame duck session. They Mm -hmm. While the Democrats had control, they should have extended the debt limit two years. But they didn't do it. They didn't have time. They didn't, apparently they didn't have the votes to do it, but that's when they should have done it. So Congresswoman, what I, speaking of the debt, I, you know, uh, it seems to me that the time to negotiate the, the budget deficits is not now. It's when the budget is actually prepared. I mean, isn't that the way it's supposed to work? You know, yeah, so, but they never do it anymore. I, they don't even I, I know do they the budget don't. properly. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, here we have one week, a week ago. No, I guess it was maybe a week ago. McCarthy said we're going to have a vote this coming week. So it's within two weeks and we're now a week into this two week period. So it's going to be like next Wednesday and they're putting up this budget that they announced day before yesterday, none of which went through the normal house committee process. This thing was glommed together by a few leaders of the Republican conference announced two days ago, and they're going to try to get this thing passed. Even though whatever they pass, they know it's dead in the Senate. But it's all done to get Kevin McCarthy to the negotiating table with Schumer and Biden. The risk is uh, they don't pass it next week, which as of today, they're not going to have the votes. Now, maybe that's they'll what, get them. I don't I think mean. they'll get to 218. Yeah. In which case they really look pathetic. And the reason they won't get to 218, and I hate to say this about the Republican party, of which I've been a member for my whole life, is this is a party that no longer knows what it believes in. And so they say we are going to pass a budget and then they dream up what the budget will be. What's 218? You need 218 votes in the house to pass a bill. They have 222 Republican members, so they can lose four and pass a bill, assuming no Democrats vote for them, which probably they won't. <laughs> so to get to the, that magic number, 218, they can't lose many votes. So we don't know. As of today, they don't have the votes, but they don't need them yet. They don't need them till like Wednesday when they're going to allegedly call the vote. But Peter asked about the budget. This is a half-ass way to do the budget of the United States government. I mean, it's insane. But it, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's, I mean, to, to to do this for the debt ceiling just strikes yeah. me. It's it's bad politics. It's bad policy. It's bad everything. And that's the but that's the way the the work seems to be getting done. You know, why don't we like why why don't the Republicans actually put together an actual budget? Which they don't, which they're not, which they're not able to do right now. They're not able to do it because there are five camps in the Republican conference. 
and I can't tell you all five. Right. Some of them are the uh, Freedom Caucus. That's one group of really hard right, almost libertarian people. Suburban moderates, uh, uh, fiscal hawks. That's three. I forget the other two, but there are right. five different groups. And, and this isn't anything new. They've been there for a while, divided up like this. And we go back to what I mentioned before, Obamacare. That was passed in 2010 by an all Democratic House and Senate with no Republican votes. No problem. They have every right to vote against that thing. But what they said, for the 2010 campaign after Obamacare had passed, Republicans said, we are going to repeal. If you vote for us and put us back in power, we will repeal and replace Obamacare. That was 2010. We're 13 years later. Do you know the Republican Party has never produced an alternative health care plan to Obamacare? 13 years they cannot agree amongst themselves on a Republican health care plan. Same thing here. They cannot agree on a Republican budget. Now, maybe they will next week. I don't know. But it's it's pretty bad. But but but, but, but even even if let's assume that does happen. Um, Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, the Senate leader, said this is, uh, I, I don't support this. So last I heard, last I heard, he, he said, I don't support this. Whatever it is, I'm not going to support it, basically, is what I heard him say. You know, so if, if the Republicans on the Senate aren't on the board with the Republicans in the House, what's going on? I mean, this whole thing is just. Stressful. Well, if you, if you follow the process the way it's supposed to be followed, you know, the, then this, the, uh, Senate should pass their version of whatever, right. and then you get together and have a conference committee and, Work something out. Right. But see, this isn't really a budget. This is done in order to have something to use to negotiate the debt ceiling. Because what the Republicans want to say to Biden is, look, you want Biden wants a clean up and down debt ceiling vote. The Republican position is not in the, in the House is we're not doing that without getting spending cuts. You'll get some of our votes to raise the debt ceiling, but only if it's linked to spending cuts. And that's the bugaboo. They, they, the Republicans can't tell you what the spending cuts are. Now, some of them did in this proposal that's going to be voted on. You know, they want to put work requirements in for food stamps. They want to get rid of uh, existing COVID funds that are sitting there unused. It's a few things. I don't, nothing major. They want to get rid of, um, early education for poor people or something, you know, but it's not really, uh, it's not the answer. It's not. So it's, it's more PR than really reality. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it really is. Before I get to questions, I, uh, I, I really want to talk about something that you, you wrote about a long time ago, uh, before. Uh, you know, and, and we're talking about George Santos, your, your, uh, uh, the, the person who now is the, uh, congressman in your former district. And I, I am absolutely flab- flabbergasted that A, he won the election and B, he's, he's now serving as if everything is normal. Now, for those who don't remember, George uh, certainly lied, lied about everything, you know, uh, uh, you know, about his college degree, his business experience. There's issues with his, Fundraising and his electrical, you, you know, you know this far better than, than I do, Congressman, because you wrote about it. 
talk, you, you had a really interesting solution about how to, uh, uh, get rid of them. Why hasn't, talk about that solution. Why do you think it hasn't happened? <laughs> well, I think I, I, I will, t- I will go over the solution in one second and sure. I can do it in a second too, yeah. but it hasn't happened because of what I said a minute ago. They have 222 Republicans. They need 218 to do anything. They can't afford to get rid of Santos. That's one less vote margin they would have. And But Kevin McCarthy is under tremendous pressure to get rid of Santos from Republican members. Here who would he be replaced with? Well, the way it's replaced is he's removed. They have uh, the governor of New York calls a special election for 60 to 70 days later. And they have an election and then someone wins and that person becomes the new congressman. So basically you have no one for two months. Uh, and you know, the odds are, in my view, a Democrat would probably win that seat. Uh, so if you're Kevin McCarthy, you got to decide, do I take the heat of keeping this jerk here, but at least I have his vote and we'll worry about 2024 when we get there. Or I blow him out of here now and lose that vote, and I may not get it back. I may get a Democrat instead. So far, he's calculated uh, keep him, but he's hedging his bets. He's, he he took him off committees, and he got the ethics committee up and running fast to investigate Santos, which normally takes forever. But one gets the feeling that if there's one Big revelation about where Santos's mysterious $750,000 that he shoveled into his campaign. If that, if we learn that a Russian oligarch gave it to Santos, who then turned around and said, Oh, it's my money. So I'm allowed to give it to my campaign. If that were to come out, they'd throw him out. I think right away. Because he is really here in New York, he's killing Santos. He's killing Republicans who are running for re-election this year in off-year elections and next year, and he's being linked to every Republican candidate. And so they locally, I hear it from all of them. Please get this guy the hell out of here. We can't have him draped around our neck. And is that? And as I understand it, New York uh, got a, quite a few Republicans that they ordinarily wouldn't have gotten in 2022. Uh, Correct. They're 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 uh, at the risk of losing those folks because of Santos. Um, hey, I, so, I, so, so sorry, we Bob. have about 20 minutes left, and Ray, you need to play a disclaimer, and then we can open up the forum to our participants. Uh, we have. Three people with their hands raised. And Jane, you are up first. All right, Jane, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And Congressman, I really um, appreciate your candidness, your frankness with this group of participants. I really do. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jane. um, you're welcome. And I, I, I wish we could dismantle, uh, dismantle every political group right now and start fresh. Um, 
<laughs> I feel for Republicans, our son is, is a very conservative Republican. And understandably, we have some pretty powerful conversations around here. And we have a few where we say, wait, we're done. We gotta wait. We gotta put a hold on this discussion. Um, I appreciated your comments about the quote, Frank and Johnny. I kept saying Frankie and Johnny, uh, that conversation. Um, uh, thanks for, for troubleshooting that, for making it as clearly the conundrum it is. And I hope we can create a commission to really work on establishing better practices all around for both medicine and social security. So thank you very much for coming up and talking. Thank uh, you, Jane. Jane. Uh, Jane, Jane, let me add one other thing that I forgot to mention when we talked about that a few minutes ago. Okay. That we, we did that in the eighties for social security. I was trying to remember back that far. <laughs> and I think Moynihan was the chairman of it. Uh, pretty mm. sure. But we did it again in the nineties after the end of the cold war with the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, the defense department realized, you know, they were going to be given less money now because we're not fighting the Russians in a cold war. And so we had to start considering closing military Mm -hmm. bases here in the United States and military bases in communities around our country are a huge, important part of local communities where people work and live and blah, 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 and all that goes along with it. So they had to Mm -hmm. figure out how are we going to close these bases? So they did the same thing. They created a base closing commission chaired by a friend of mine, uh, former New Jersey Republican Congressman mm-hmm. Jim Corridor, and we could look up who was on the commission, and the deal was mm-hmm. the same deal. When Congress created this thing, mm-hmm. they made this bipartisan commission with the understanding in advance, before the yes. commission ever met, yeah. whatever they decided would be the way to go. Yes. So they could cut a base and even though the congressmen and senators from that area would be all upset about Squawking. it, mm-hmm. it would get, it would go. And it was to try to take the partisan politics out of the, the ultimate decision. And it worked. I, I know people are unhappy, but overall it worked. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome, okay. Jack. Thanks, Jack. Before we go on to the next call, I just want to make a comment, uh, Congressman. You talked about Frank and John. Uh, supposing, uh, if, uh, if, if, if it was instead of Franking and John it was Franking and Joan, in other words, yeah. called a female, and that changed, that complicates matters even further sometimes. Uh, you know, cause you're hearing the whole issue of, about women in healthcare and how they're not getting as good service and how some of the, uh, we talked about more mortality between African yeah. and yeah, I mean, this yeah. is a whole nother conversation, uh, yep. that we have. Anyway, thank you, Jane. Uh, Ray, who's next? Ray, who's Ray? next on the agenda? And uh, Jane, uh, uh, Tanya's up next. Sorry, Tanya. All right, Tanya, welcome to Inspector. Former Congressman John Leboutlier. Okay. Uh, yes, I do have. Uh, I have something to say to Mr. Congressman. I really am disappointed about that because. If those that have private, like Medicare, 
they can get all the benefits and me as an African-American uh, legally blind, I'm on Medicaid and I feel really pretty bad that I cannot get that kind of type of benefits. Way back in 2019, I had uh, um, a cornea uh, transplant and I didn't really have the money and I had to come up with mounds of way to get the money and I had to sell some stuff online, you know, to get the money. And I feel like, you know, what is really going on in this country? I mean, why all of us African-Americans is being left out mm-hmm. with not getting benefits? Well, I don't know. I mean, generally, the answer, I think, is you get less benefits. You still get benefits. We still, like we talked about, the difference between Medicare, private insurance, or Medicaid, which I think you said you're on. So Medicaid is definitely a lower standard of health care than the richest private health insurance gives you that you would get from an employer in a you know, blue chip company or something, you get more benefits, high, uh, lower deductible, more coverage, whatever it is. And I'm not defending this. I'm just analyzing it. I, I'm not defending what happened to you at all. I think it's not. I said it at the beginning of the show. It's not right. It's not right that one person, John, gets better service in bed A than Frank or Francine gets in bed B. It's not right, and but the, it's the way it is. Life isn't the, fair at the moment. It isn't, and I feel really, you know, disappointed about that. And well, I, well, I, let, I let's look it. at it. Let, let's look at something. <clears throat> let's go back. What are we in? Twenty twenty three. Okay, let's go back seventy years to nineteen fifty three. And you're you in 1953, same age, same situation, right? You've got, there's, there was, I don't think there was health insurance back then of any sort. I don't know, but not much. Uh, things were way less expensive. Black didn't Medicare, people, didn't Medicare take effect in the mid sixties on the Johnson? Uh, yeah, I'm talking 1953. Right, exactly. So that was prior. Right. But, but no, but I don't know that there was any, Private health insurance. I don't, I don't know. I don't think there was. I mean, when I, I was born in 1953, I can remember like five years later, our family doctor coming to the house to do a house visit, house call, which they don't do anymore. And my mother would pay the guy in like a $10 bill. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But my point being, this nice lady that we have on the phone, Tanya, what would her situation have been back in 1953? There was no insurance for her of any sort, no Medicare, no Medicaid, no nothing. So the disparity that we're talking about was even worse then. At least society has tried to address this and ensure everybody to get you at least some protection and some coverage. So I, Applaud society for that. And by the way, it's not, you know, Medicaid, which is for poor people, isn't just poor black people. It's poor yeah. white people or Latino people, too. True, true. I understand. I mean, you know, but my people, 
you know, been going through so much of a lot of heartache and setback and so much of a lot of negativeness about all the rest of us. And correct, you know, it's, it's really is wrong. And, you know, it's like, if I was in front of the whole entire of all the congressmen and congresswomen, I would speak up and said, look, you got to do everything where you have to do to make a big major change. And that's what they need to do. Well, that's what that's, Bernie that's what Sanders. Say, but I'm yeah, going to let you talk. Okay. Well, I was, I, I, I get your drift. Bernie Sanders ran on that. He wants to take the thing I have that I was talking about earlier, uh, John in bed A getting this ablation and not paying a penny for it. And it must cost a hundred grand. You know, that's Medicare. He wants, and he ran on it, Medicare for everybody. And if we could do it, we would do it, but we can't afford it. That's the problem. That's the problem if yeah. everybody's getting a hundred grand for a procedure, who's paying for it? Yeah. Now, That's they, the problem. They seem is, that to do the, is that where the term universal health care comes into the picture? No, no. Universal, well, sort of. But universal health care is everybody has some level of health insurance. First guy to tout it and get it was your former governor, Bob, Mitt Romney. And in order to do it and make the math work, they put in the mandatory requirement that everybody had to be covered and pay into the system so that the poor people would be covered. And that was working well in Massachusetts. Uh, Obama took it and ran on it in 2008 and implemented it with the Democratic House and Senate in 2010. It was never popular. Until Trump came along in 2016, ran against it, people said, hey, wait a sec, let's look at it again. And you know what? It's now pretty popular. Yeah. Close to 60% of the country. And if we had more time with this nice Tanya, I'd like to know if she, she says she's on Medicaid. Uh, it, has she, could she get on Obamacare? Because I believe under Obamacare, she would have a better level of coverage than under Medicaid. And of course it depends on the state she's in too, because this, this yeah. state make, make it, make it, make a difference. Uh, one, one quick comment. I know we have at least one more uh, caller. Uh, the, we have the, at least the, four actually. Oh, okay. Forgive me. Then the, my comment will be very quick. The problem that I fear is that you're right. The con- uh, Congressman things are better than they were in 1953. Uh, the problem is that we, I fear that we're slipping back towards 1953. You know, that, 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 that the, that the, that the, Line is uh, between rich and poor is sees begin widening every year, and this is not sustainable. It just isn't in my my way of looking at things. I right, we have four it. callers. We have four callers and ten minutes. Who's next, uh, Ray? Phone number ending in six six five. You are up next. Hi guys, it's hey Michael. Michael. Hi guys, what's up? Hey, uh, Congressman, I always enjoy when you, when you come in. Uh, Thank you. Know. Yes. Uh, I, I, I come at things from, uh, a financial background and, uh, the, the example you use about, uh, John and Frank, uh, in the, in the, in the hospital in the same room getting different service and those procedures costing so much. I had a procedure where, they gave me a shot uh, 
I mean, it was like a a prick, and it cost nine thousand dollars. Yeah. Well, fortunately, I have Medicare, but just to know how much that shot cost was was you know really terrible. So can, can, can I can, can I interrupt on that note for a minute because it applies to my hundred grand from the thing I had. Same thing. I don't know that your shot really costs nine grand. They say it costs nine grand. That, My thing costs a hundred grand. Yeah, they that's they in order to get back the amount of money they really need, they overcharge it, and Medicare agrees to it. Says, yeah, that shot costs nine thousand, but we will only reimburse X thousand or whatever, and everybody's happy with it. I, you know, it's a weird system. Well, Go ahead, Mike. I, I, my, 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 my problem, and I'm looking at it from a financial standpoint, is, is, and, and, and I brought it to the economy, uh, in general, is pricing. Yeah. I know back in the 70s, they, they started, tried to do price controls that didn't work, uh, it created a lot of inequities in the, uh, in the, in the economy. But, uh, from a business standpoint, uh, do companies have to have make the margins that they do because we overprice everything? We are pricing ourselves to poor to poverty, and it's creating more and more of these inequities. Not only in healthcare, uh, everything sort of leads to healthcare, but health uh, healthcare, uh, home ownership, uh, equity in jobs. You know, education, ed- education, all of those areas, it's, it's still comes down to how much things cost. And, and I think if we had some rain on what's a, what's a fair price where the business well, the, makes money and, and the consumer is, is not gouged. Well, I tell you, we, we have lived in this system. While the system has changed, the fair price is what the market will bear. So you produce widgets. I love this example of this thing called a widget. None of us know what the hell a widget is, but a thing, a thing. thing. You produce the thing. You say, I'm going to sell it. And the market, the customers will end up determining what the market will bear, what you could sell it for. And that's how our system generally works, but not health care, not higher education, both right. of which the consumer is not paying for. A third party is paying for it in most, not in every educational case, but it's usually the government is paying for it. And when the government pays for it, now the provider, the health care provider or the university says, oh, great, we'll charge more. Because we'll get reimbursed by the government. The student or the patient isn't paying. You didn't get that shot, Michael, because it was 9000 or $9. You got the shot because you needed the shot. And you're, you weren't even aware of the price. The doctor said you need the shot. You said, great, I'll take the shot. <laughs> you had, and there's no uh, pressure on the cost of it from the consumer. So it's not even capitalism. It's this weird hybrid we have. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, thank I think you, we, I see, I think we need to move on, but I think you're, you're onto something. Uh, great thank contributions you, as always. 
Phone right. numbering in 898. You are up next. 898. 898. Yes, go right ahead. Yeah. Um, hi. Hi. I wondered uh, what your spin is on, uh, since you're a Republican, uh, in regards to Donald Trump and versus uh, Ron DeSantis. I keep hearing people say they'd make a great team, which I think too, but then it doesn't look like it's going to work out. Um, I just wondered what you thought on that. Well, first of all, constitutionally, they can't run together from the same state. Uh, If they do that, then DeSantis as vice president, if he's running for vice president, uh, cannot receive the electoral votes from Florida. And if it's as close as some of these elections have been, it's conceivable you'd have a Republican president and Kamala Harris as the Democratic, uh, as the vice president because she's running as the Democrat. I mean, not going to happen. Yeah. And and anyway, it's not going to happen because the way it's going, Trump is systematically ripping apart DeSantis and DeSantis is ripping himself apart. Yeah, that's right. This is another one of these overrated, hyped up. I didn't earn it, but you're going to give it to me front runners. The minute they hit the road and start campaigning and people really look at them, they go, oh, that guy's not as good as I heard he was. So he's not going to be the nominee. I mean, I don't know. Right now, Donald Trump is going to be the nominee, but we have a year and a half to go or a year and two months to go. So there's a lot can happen. Trump's going to be indicted two or three more times this year. And how he's going to look then, I don't know. The Democrats are licking their chops that the Republicans will renominate Donald Trump because they see with him he'll lose again and he'll take down uh, Senate and House Republicans with him and the Democrats will have a big year. Not, And let's not forget the power of abortion to jazz up women voters again in 2024 like they did in 2022 because the republicans have a terrible position hardline position against virtually all abortion and that's not acceptable to a majority of americans we have two minutes so we have time for one more yeah thank you very much i don't know what your name is but thank you for your contribution thank Thank you you so much yeah we have one more ray in two minutes next person known as iphone you are up next iPhone, yes, welcome. Whoever that is on the iPhone. Ray, why, uh, don't, you, why don't you go to the next let's, person? Let's please. go to the other one. Uh, there yeah. is, uh, oh, is, that, is that it? Nobody else. Oh, all right. Well, if all iPhone, right. if, if iPhone uh, can get on, we're, we'll happy to take you. I don't know who the iPhone While is. While we're waiting for iPhone, uh, Congressman, <laughs> do you think Joe Biden will run again? Oh, yeah, and he's going to announce next week. <laughs> and I, I've never had any doubt that he'll run again because presidents don't give the gig up. All right, they're <clears throat> muted. Okay, uh, iPhone, who's, who's we got about another minute. Okay, yes, iPhone is unmuted, yes. Go ahead. Hello? Hello, sir. Hey, Brian. Yeah, hi, uh, Bob. Hi, uh, former congressman, um, whatever your name is. Yes. Uh, okay. I have a question that, uh, that needs to take a different road. 
Um, and it has to do with, um, it has to do with social security benefits, two parts, SSI benefits and home ownership. Okay. Here is the thing here I have to, um, bring up. Okay. Because, um, I receive, a, I receive some funds from the state of Massachusetts, but I also get my father's death benefits. SSI says, you can own a home as long as it's your home, okay? But here is the other issue, and I've read on this too. How does a person on SSI afford a monthly mortgage and um, the other responsibilities that go with the home? For instance, I, you know, people with that... As I said, most of the time it's people with disabilities that get SSI. Okay, Brian, 30 seconds, Congressman. You've I, you know, it's, I, 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 you better not go by what I say. I don't know anything. I would go and talk to people who know about it, and there are people who know about it. And there are people on SSI who do own homes. That I know. Yeah. But I, I, I hope you could, I'd call your own congressman's office. If you need help or something, and may, maybe they it's can. It's not a help. bad idea. That's not, not a bad idea. idea, Brian. He might know the answer to your question. Yeah, Thanks there's people in every con- there's a people in every congressional office who do just Social Security questions, ca- cases, loss benefits, all that. I <laughs> definitely call. Our time has run out. Our, our, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Our time has run out. We're, I'm sorry, we're running over. But uh, Congressman, as always, we love to have you on the show. You're coming back again at the end of June, and of course, yep. we appreciate that. We'll talk about some other topics uh, probably on that night as well. Uh, Ray, thank you so much, and uh, Peter, of course, and our participants. And next week, we're going to be talking with Anthony Candela, another friend Candela. of the show. And we're going to be talking about uh, employing the blind, best ways to do that. Okay, so go safe with God's abundant blessings, everybody. Thanks again. Enjoy your weekend. And let's not fall off the economic cliff with with the. Uh, uh, let's uh, let's uh, not. That, that, that would not be a good idea. That. Yeah. No. Thank, thank you, Congressman. Thank you.